Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Wherever you're listening from today, I hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out. Uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at consequenceofsound.net. And that means whether you're checking us out on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, on YouTube or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, you can uh, hit the subscribe button at any of those places. I'm Kyle Meredith. It's a special trio episode today. Going to be talking with Alejandro Escovedo, River Wireless, and Marcus King. All put out records recently, all with heavy themes in their own way. In fact, we're going to start with Alejandro Escovedo and his writing partner, Don Antonio. They stopped into the WFPK studios on International Clash Day to talk about the new record, The Crossing. Now, this is a record that deals a lot with immigration. It's a concept record about uh, about two young men, one Mexican and one Italian, making their way across the border. Now, this is stories personal to their own histories, and they're going to tell us about how that all lines up, which, of course 
is a timely story, especially right now with everything that we're hearing in the news about immigration. Now, the two characters, much like the two songwriters, also have ties to punk, a love for punk. Alejandro Escovedo comes from a punk background, coming from the nuns back in the 70s. It's a nice kind of coincidence that he ends up in my studio on International Clash Day. So we talk about those early punk days. We talk about the importance of the Clash and how it's inspired him throughout his career and how it should inspire us all to lead better lives. Getting us started here, it's Kyle Meredith with Alejandro Escovedo. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. Uh, yeah, you and your band's going to be out to uh, headliners tonight. That's right. Playing, uh, you get the details on that at WFPK.org as well. And behind a fantastic uh, <clears throat> record called The Crossing, which Thank we've you. loved around here. Thank you. I mean, be pumping out... Uh, music this powerful you know well thank you very much still yeah. find that fire and and you know we were talking off mic a little bit and and the album that you've done and a lot of the songs in the past too but especially the album kind of ties in to of course what this day represents right very much so i would think yeah you know i mean the story uh that antonio my friend here antonio gramantieri and i kind of thought up was a story about two young boys one is from southern italy one his name is salvo and the other boy is a young boy from northern Mexico in a little town called Saltillo in the state of Coahuila. His name is Diego. And they both meet in Galveston, Texas, where they're working at an Italian restaurant, Salvo's uncle's Italian restaurant. And it's there that they begin to realize that they have common interests. And the foremost uh, interest is uh, that of American punk rock music, right? So they know their history. They know their music very well. Uh, they also love beat poetry and the free poetry of the 60s and late 50s. And they love the cinema of uh, Sam Peckinpah and John Cassavetes. And they go looking for this America that they believe exists. And what they find, uh, you know, obstacles along the way, the America that they find is not as receptive to these ideas as they had dreamed. And so they're caught in situations that are actually life-threatening at times and... Uh, uh, very kind of like put out of their element at times, you know, because uh, along the way they lose a lot. Not only have they left their family and loved ones and, you know, culture, language and food behind, uh, but somehow along the, as they become in, on this journey, they become young men into men, right? You know, they're growing up and they lose their innocence along the way, you know. And this couldn't, I, I can't imagine this was just coincidentally timed that a record <laughs> like this would come out right now. Uh, I mean, does that where the seeds of the record comes from? Just what we're living at the moment? Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it came naturally because Antonio is from Italy. I am, my father was from Mexico, the same town that we placed Diego in, Saltillo. And I've always written about immigration. I mean, I, I wrote a play about my dad called By the Hand of the Father. And I've done, you know, written a lot of songs. My songs Wave and, you know, Sally Was a Cop. They all deal with Mexico and, and the environment that people have to live in in this day and age, you know. And so these young boys, you know, the first uh, project, which was By the Hand of the Father, was about my dad and older men who were born at the turn of the century. And it follows their journey across the border, which in, in those days, I mean, you have to remember that my father was born in 1907. He crossed the border and he was 12 years old. So 1919, 1920, he crossed the border was a very much an invisible line at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And again, you have to keep in mind that in the Southwest, Mexico was Texas, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and California. It was huge, right? 
So the identity thing was very strange. You know, I don't know if you ever read the book Stranger in, in, in My Own Land, you know, but it's, it basically addresses that, you know, um, because when they crossed in those days, there was an invisible line, really, and it still felt like Mexico. The language was the same. The food was the same. The environment was the same as they had known. So, but these two young boys are coming over for more of an aesthetic mm-hmm. journey. And to follow their dreams, really, is what they're coming in for. I do love the name checks that go on through this. I mean, you mentioned those beat poets and uh, Outlaw for you. Of course, you're dropping Kerouac and Ginsburg, which are, you know, I I follow those proverbial roads uh, quite a bit, you know, in in my youth as well. When we hear about this stuff, of course, in Louisville, Kentucky, we're hearing it from way down the line. Right. You know, what's happening with, with borders, with governments. With personal lives, but I mean, you're all—I mean, you—you're all still touched, you know, in the moments in a lot closer way than we are. I have to imagine, like, this still impacts you to this day, right? Well, I think Antonio, if you want to address this too, because in Italy they're going through the same problems that we are. I mean, they've elected a very right-wing. Yeah, or at least something that that's taking things in that direction right. even without knowing. And <clears throat> I think the main thing was that when we got troubles, we tend to think that it's the trouble of our country or something that is specifically about us. But then if we just open the, if we just see things from a little bit from above, we see that this kind of issue always being there because people moved from day one. And just as Italians, we've been on both sides of the of a border, like when we were trying to go for greener pastures in America or in Northern Europe. And now that we face the same thing with people from Africa coming up and we've been both character in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the story. And that's, that tells us this thing tend to repeat. And this is one of the reasons we didn't want to place the story exactly in a specific moment in space and time, mm-hmm. just like, because the feelings we believe that were the same. We had a conversation while we were doing the record with, it's a story that is in the, in the, in the DNA of human beings. It's not really specific about what's happening in America right. today. It's something that is a human. Uh, it's a timeless story. Unfortunately. Know? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I just well, hope I mean, by this point we would be so much further, you know, exactly. that one world uh, idea. But, uh, you know, it hasn't worked out that way. And so we were faced with problems. I mean, the fact that there's thousands of children being detained at the border in cages, basically, right. is horrendous. I mean, it's just inhumane. And and the fact that now I, I've heard on the news that they don't even know how to uh, locate a lot of these young kids and reconnect them with their families and their parents. So the cruelty... In immigration, you know, the thing that's interesting about the story that we wrote to me is that we wanted it to be timeless because we feel it's a human story, more so than just an Italian story or a Mexican story. But it's it's all of us come from somewhere else, regardless of what anyone, is, you know, tends to believe. We all come from somewhere else. Ideally, we are all one, right? Mm-hmm. And to place these borders, to wreck these borders is what causes the problem a lot of times, you know, right? So, like, the story for us began with man traveling to find greener pastures, hunting seasons, weather, temperature, whatever it was they were looking for, you know, in order to survive. Once borders came up, it became a different story altogether. And, you know, America is a wonderful and beautiful experiment. But it's based on immigration. Mm-hmm. The whole basis of this country is immigration. Right. 
And in this album, there's a song called Rio Navidad, in which the character Diego, you know, says to a man who's been very rude to him in a racist way, uh, you know, if you want to get down to her, you're the one who came over uh, across the Atlantic. I mean, you're the really, you're the immigrant, right. you know. My family has DNA and codex that is here for centuries, right? You know, so it's just a, it's a, it's an un, unfortunate way to view the world in my opinion it's one of my favorite moments of the record too thank you Alejandro Escovedo and Don Antonio tonight at uh, Headliners the details at WFPK.org Alejandro's got this great new record called The Crossing and uh, and we're so lucky to have you here and honored to have you here in town uh, and especially yeah, for International Clash Day, we were talking a little bit about that at the beginning and you, you don't have any direct ties to the Clash but this band must have meant something Absolutely. You know, they were an amazing band that uh, I did get to see live, and it was really one of the great rock and roll shows I've ever seen. Oh, and, man. you know, uh, my brother, actually, Javier, he was in a band called The Zeros, and they played with The Clash at, uh, at the, uh, in San Francisco. They did a show with them at, at, in San Francisco, which was a really cool kind of show because, and this speaks so highly of The Clash also, but... It wasn't on their tour schedule necessarily, but the kids told them about this place that it was Temple Beautiful, and they hung out. It actually, it was Jim Jones's old place. You know, Jim Jones who, who uh-huh. led the, the mass suicide. Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was his old place, and they uh, told him that the kids were having punk rock shows there, and these kids went to them and, and said, you know, would you guys play? And they actually came and played. You know. And uh, I remember, I think the Dills played and the Zeros played, my brother's band, yeah. What era was that? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, it was 77, 78, sometime, somewhere around there. Right. I had already left, I believe, by that time. Yeah. So it must have been around 78, yeah. But what a time to, to see. I mean, you were you were part of the scene, though, in, in a similar way. I mean, I, I think it's talked about you know, your punk rock roots. Yes, absolutely. You know, and... Uh, because we started playing, the nuns started forming around 75, 76. So when we started to see that the Clash and the Pistols were playing, you know, and all this stuff, it gave us a sense that we were part of something that was bigger than we were, obviously. And, uh, you know, the Ramones came through and they were highly influential, you know. Mm-hmm. Patti Smith had come through before that, you know. So all of that was leading up to what became the punk rock explosion around 76, 77, you know, through 78. And in 78, well, actually it was, uh, yeah, right around 77, 78 when the Pistols' last show in San Francisco, we opened up that show at Winterland, the nuns did, right? But at that point, we could see that there was something happening that was different than what we had created previous to that. You know, it became much more suburban, more male, kind of testosterone-driven. I think that was the birth of hardcore, what they called hardcore, you know. But in the beginning, it was it was very much like what the Clash created in London. You know, there was a lot of women involved. It was very uh, all sorts of races and colors involved. And it was all about expressing yourself, you know. And the Clash really inspired that more so than maybe any other band, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, they were more open musically than other bands were, too. They led us in those directions, too. A lot of kids to dub and reggae and African music and, you know, the Sandinistas and all this stuff that, you know, that maybe a lot of kids didn't know about growing up in the suburbs, you know, and suddenly we're aware of, you know. 
And we can thank Strummer and the boys for that, you know. I mean, certainly, you know, I came years later. Yeah. And they were still one of the ones that turned me on to a lot of the stuff he just said <laughs> right there. I was yeah. still learning it, you know, in the 90s by that point. So, Well, highly influential. I mean, you know, think about what, you know, in, in the same way that the Stones, you know, brought blues back to America, I think that the Clash gave us a sense of what the world was about, yeah. what world music was, you know, because look at how uh, early they embraced hip hop and everything, you know. It's true. So they were important, extremely important. Without them, I don't know that we would have gotten as far as we'd gotten in opening the doors to a larger variety of music. Yeah. You know? Now I'm going to tie that back into The Crossing with this new record right here, sure. because because on, uh, on the lead single, uh, Sonica USA, uh, we hear a lot of these names yeah. in, in that way that you're talking. We hear about the MC5 and Wayne Kramer right. happens to be on the track as well. I shout out there. I had Wayne on my show recently as well with his Joe new book. Guitar Doors. That's right. Yeah. You know, with everything. But but this is sort of where the, the lines blur a bit, right? Because you have these two characters that are touting these, you know, the, these these musical gods, which yeah. are, you know, your peers. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and your own heroes, I'm guessing, to a point. I don't know. Well, you know, we when Antonio made the record, we also made a wish list of people yeah. to play. And go yeah. ahead, you can. I mean, I think uh, we we got uh, we, we got we got, we got the, the cream the, of the crop, pretty yeah. much. You and know? there is a reason because the record, even if it's a story timely, is based in America because America, obviously, also from my standpoint, from my Italian standpoint, was the place where all those influences came together and created a language that was a new one, mm -hmm. and it was just the sum of what came in from the, outside the borders, obviously. And so there's a reason if they look for the promised land here and not somewhere else, because it's the land where art opened the door for a social model that for them was what they wanted to, what they wanted to feel like home, what the, the, the kind of environment, cultural environment where they want to to place themselves. That was the thing, because like for us, the characters find their community that the America that they're looking for doesn't necessarily exist. Mm. But where they find it is in the punk rock community. They're embraced there and they feel accepted there and they feel that they can express themselves there, you know. So when they say we love the Stooges and we hate you, too, you know, a friend of mine thought it meant you, too, like, you know, people, but... It's the band, you too. <laughs> it's because they they want this primal hardcore thing. You know, they don't want a stadium band with you know multi screens and blah blah blah. Right, pyrotechnics. They want the real thing, right? You know, so to them, the Stooges and the MC Five and you know all the bands that came before them that were like that, like Question Mark and the Mysterians or the Seeds and Count Five, I mean, you know, the New York Dolls, the Velvet Underground were the bands that they draw their inspiration from. You know? Salvation and the music. I, I'm going to get off track just for a second. Sure. Debate here, uh, long time debate. Were you two ever a punk band? Not in my opinion, <laughs> but, you know. I think we're a punk band when we play in duo. No, 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 no. He's meant he meant the band you two. Ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I did yeah, it. I you just said that, and I did it. I did it in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
when I was a kid, really a kid, they were everywhere. So you don't you don't know if you like a mountain or not. It's just yeah, around yeah. you. you yeah, right. To, you have to face the scenario you grew up. Well, everything that I know about them tells me that they weren't a punk band. All right. <laughs> Thank you all both so much. Alejandro Escovedo and Don Antonio tonight at Headliners at Details at WFBK.org. Well, thank you very much. That's such man. a fun one. Thanks thank, for having us. Yeah, thank you both st- for stopping by here and uh, for the important writing that you still do. Oh, well, thank I'll you. put that weight on it. I really do mean that. Thank you. Uh-huh. And, Please. Uh, you know, uh, everyone should be inspired by The Clash to go out and be active in your community, your neighborhood, you know, whatever it is that you do. But uh, we can make a difference. And The Clash, we're inspired by that. Alejandro Escovedo and Don Antonio talking about their new record, The Crossing. Now we're going to stick to a similar space for our second interview for today's episode. The band River Wireless, just last year, 2018, released a record called Kindness, a Rebel. I talked with Daniel Sheeran about it, a record that was actually made on the border between Texas and Mexico in a border town that would end up in the news in a very big way. In fact, we stick with politics beyond that to talk a little bit about uh, how they were impacted uh, with Facebook ads just being political. And on the less political side, the new record is also a big jump sonically for the band. We get some stories behind some of the songs as well. It's Kyle Meredith with River Wireless. Hey, Kyle. Let's talk about this record, uh, Kindness, uh, A Rebel, um, which is, it's an exciting record. It's, it's beautifully done and beautifully recorded, and the songwriting is the best that you all have, have ever accomplished yet. I mean, all the compliments uh, on this new record. Thank you. Thank you so much. I guess the easy part is to start with that title, too, because not all the time does a title summarize a record, but I get the feeling that it really does this time around. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we think that all the songs on the record uh, touch back to that central theme. And, and what is um, that theme, uh, to, to spill it out? Oh, uh, I think just just like it says, that kindness sometimes is uh, a more rebellious cause than it might seem on the surface. But sometimes your first reaction may be, may be one of um, more self-righteousness or self-satisfaction or greed or, or any of those types of things. But sometimes to, to flip the page over and to, to rebel against that instinct or rebel against the, what society might be pushing you to do and just to reach out and talk to one another and be kind is, is a, a rebellious act. Isn't that unfortunate? It is. It is. I mean, I think it's part of human nature. And in some respect, I think it's been exasperated recently. It seems like, at least in our country, it seems like in the past year or two or three, this whole divide has increased and it seems harder to reach across the aisle, if you will. But I think it is part of basic human nature to also be kind. So just to find, to re, re, uh, reacquaint yourself with that side of yourself. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read you all talking about it as, you know, the American experiment, which I've sort of referred to myself in the past. Um, whereas I, I'm sort of feeling a bit half empty here when I talk about the American experiment, I want to say has failed. <laughs> or maybe the human experiment has <laughs> failed humanity as we know it. Um, I don't quite get the sense that that's, that's your take on it, though. Uh, no, and you know, I think everything has its cycles. And I mean, there's a deep part of me that is looking at the long term of humanity and feels a little pessimistic in the sort of in the way that it feels like we might be uh, a parasite on our own home, like a termite eating the house it lives in. But on the other hand, I know that individually, we're actually a pretty brilliant species. And hopefully, uh, we have time enough to turn to turn around. I'm, at this point, I'm kind of speaking about uh, like global warming and mm-hmm. population 
growth and these long-term things that are going to be uh, a bigger, bigger and bigger threat to our, to our life as, as humans, and not to mention all the lives that we're surrounded by that aren't humans. So that, that part of me is a little nervous and pessimistic, but I, I, hope that, I hope that we're smart enough to turn it around. Because I know individually all of us are, but we have a little bit of a blind spot as a group. You know, four songwriters in the band, the, these, these themes, they thread through all out it and, and to each one of your songs. I mean, did you find that you were already in sync thematically? Was this something that was talked about going through? Like, what if we did more or less a concept record? No, no, we never really talked about it. We just had a we had a pretty good batch of songs. Um, I'd say we we came into the studio with twice as many songs that we ended up with on the record. And I think a lot of the choices again, like we never really specifically discussed it, but I think we saw the record moving in a direction and uh, just naturally chose the ones that uh, grouped together thematically like that. And you, and you hear it pretty quickly too. I mean, you know, born in the right country, quite the statement. You know, as we're talking about. Uh, privilege uh, and everything that goes along with that. That that one's not your right. Who did that one? Uh, who started that one? I should say. Uh, Ryan Ryan wrote the lyrics to that one, for, for the most part. And, and can you speak to the story uh, about it at all? Yeah, I mean that that song is it's about luck and just what card you're drawn or what card you draw when you're born or or you know in in life there's a lot of things that decide which how your life turns out that you have no control over and. A lot of people find themselves on the good side of that luck and a lot find themselves on the bad side of that luck. And that's not to say that you're stuck in one place, but to borrow a phrase from another song on the record, uh, if the wind's pushing at your back, you don't really notice it and you don't, you don't realize how, how much that's helping you uh, down, the, down the path of life, if you will. And, and when you're talking about, you know, you're not stuck, you, you can escape, but as we're seeing for folks who do escape or try to escape, uh, they end up in these horrible situations that we're putting families in. Um, I bring that up because, as I read, I mean, you all recorded this record close to the uh, to the Mexican border, right? Yes. Strangely enough, we we recorded it in Tornillo, Texas, which is now that it's it's this little tiny tiny town. You know, it's got a Dollar General and a, and a little school, and I don't know the official population size, but it's it's small, and uh, I don't think many people really talked about Tornillo very much, but. Recently, that's the that's the town that's been on the news because of the the tents that were built for the migrants, the immigrants that were being detained. That that's literally in Tornillo, the exact town we recorded the record in. And yeah, it's a little it's 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 a really surreal uh, thing to realize. I mean, you are you know recording this record. Was everything happening? Was any of that happening? You know, while it was going on, were you all able to experience that and and, and see the beginnings of 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 all of this that we're seeing now? No, no. We're, the, when we were recording the record, the studio is actually centered in a compound within a pecan orchard, and you could you could go to the edge of the pecan orchard and find yourself uh, at the fence. And if you spent too much time down there, like you know, a few minutes a border patrol agent would come up to you. This never happened to me, but, but that was just kind of standard practice at that time. We didn't, we didn't see any actual, we didn't see anything quite as dramatic as what we're talking about now. But, but still, I mean, for, um, for such yeah, we, a small place in the world and, you know, <laughs> to you, to you sort of retroactively being part of the center of all that, I mean, just this magnetism, I guess, to that area. No, very surreal. Yeah. A friend of ours uh, who actually told us about the studio in the first place, his name is David Garza. 
and he's a, a extremely talented musician who lives in Austin, but he's also closely tied with the studio in Torneo. And he's been he's been going out there and like writing songs and uh, performing there and and making videos. And to to see him in the same spot, literally with his back to the border at certain times, has been again a very surreal realization to to know that like not even a year ago we were just there having the time of our lives making a record and fully aware that just across the border is one of the most dangerous cities in in Mexico and uh, to see it all come to a head like it did is uh, like I said a very surreal realization. Now I'll hit on sort of this subject with with one more thing because because you all so you so you know you're 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 promoting your record and and you know in the ways band promote the record and and one of those things is facebook and and you do an ad and there's a denial what's what's the story here because I've only heard the uh the brief of it anyway oh it's uh it's just you know how on facebook you can pay pay facebook i don't know like twenty bucks or so and they boost your post and whatnot mm-hmm. well uh we tried to do that with our video and the boost side of it got denied. In other words, they wouldn't take our money to to spread the word that our video is out, and um, and they did that on the grounds of it being too political. And if you know, if, at first it was surprising that that video could be seen in that light. Um, of course, it is a, a politically involved video, but we didn't see it as being like something that would be blocked in that way. But you know, the more we thought about it, the more we, we realized that. Uh, that's Facebook trying to do its job to to weed out politics from their, the, at least monetarily, their involvement in spreading that kind of narrative in any in any way. So I appreciate it. I appreciate the the end result, although it was definitely surprising at first. <laughs> I mean, it, it, just on the grounds that you know, for the place that sort of spread all the politics, you know, around for for a few years, that uh, it's something like this uh, that I won't call innocent, but. Uh, but mild in, in in that grand scope of conversation. Yeah, the the surprising part was it it felt to us like we were we're le- legitimately trying to have a conversation versus a lot of the, the things that uh, has come to light that Facebook was involved in is are not so much a conversation but just spreading false information. And but uh, but I do understand that they've got to draw a line somewhere. And um, and you're on I'm, the other side I'm of that line. They're they're working on. It. <laughs> yeah, you know that's fine if it works out that way. Um, right. I'd I'd rather be on the on on the other side of a line than there not to be a line. So I I appreciate it in the long run. Well, the other thing you know that you notice really quickly about this, I mean, whether or not it's warranted or not, you, you know, you you all really quickly got sort of stamped with folk or a subgenre of folk anyway. When I listened to this record, that was my first thought: is like, whatever you were before. You're not that so much anymore. Like this isn't a folk record, not in any traditional sense anyway. Other than you know, maybe the old traditional, the actual traditional sense of of, of telling stories and and that. But musically right. speaking, mm-hmm. you know, this is something. It's it's complex. It's something really really different. Like I don't know. Can you pinpoint to something happening between you know two years ago and now that kind of gave this this album its 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 musical structure? Oh. No, I couldn't pinpoint it. Um, <laughs> I think all of us are just constantly listening to listening to a lot of different things, and whatever we're absorbing, then at that point comes out as we write music. Again, it's not it's not typically talked about. It's not intentional. Or it's not intentional in, in a in a way that we've like written a thesis statement about how we want to pursue the record. It's just all kind of following your instincts and 
and going with the flow of what's happening and 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 following leads when when they show up. And I think part of that is we've we've never considered ourselves a folk band, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and and I get why people have said that, but we we hear that and we're like, okay, yeah, that's I guess that's what people refer to us in some capacity, but but we've never really embraced that label. And there's nothing wrong with that label, but we've just never identified with it on a you know 100 percent and so i guess this is just we're just being ourselves and and doing what we like to do and it just turned out the way it did yeah when you hear like you know it's serious groove and uh and failing farm and um the drive of van dyke brown i mean there are some great moments spread all throughout this record i really do enjoy it thank you thank you yeah. and that's that it, it, it was a pleasure talking to you man uh, and again all the compliments kindness a rebel I, I hope I get to see it uh, around the Louisville parts sometime soon. Check this out. All righty. Yeah, well, thanks thanks for uh, chatting, and um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. You too, Dan. We'll see you around. Take care. Right on. Take care. Thank you. And my thanks to Daniel from River Wireless. Again, that record, Kindness, a Rebel. Now to part three for today's interview, Marcus King of the Marcus King Band. The blues phenom just released an album called Carolina Confessions that deals with its own big issues. In fact, when Marcus says he needs to get things off of his chest for his confessions, one of those subjects being suicide. It's also a record that was written in France. Kind of interesting being it's uh, got a southern rock sound to it. We also get into working with super producer Dave Cobb, co-writing with the Black Keys' Dan Auerbach, and taking a lot of inspiration from the Black Crows as he prepared for a tour with Chris Robinson. It's Kyle Meredith with Marcus King. Hey, Kyle. How you doing? It's Marcus. I noticed that all three of your albums uh, had been released in October uh, as they came out. Is that a coincidence, or you just like to keep things spooky? <laughs> well, uh, I guess spooky's always all right, but I don't know, man. I think that may be something from the label. I guess they like to get it out uh, towards the beginning of the last quarter, and there must be some kind of strategy there. There's about three records now, and every single one of them with a with an October release. Like that's consistency right there. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's hit that title first. Carolina Confessions. As 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 you've said in other interviews, you had a lot of things to get off of your chest. What's the what's the? It, it makes it a concept record, right? Yeah, I guess it, it, in a lot of ways, yeah, it does. You know, it's a it's a breakup record. Just just a different kind of breakup record. It's more of a accepting responsibility for your own actions type of a thing and it also speaks a little on uh leaving home and you know finding yourself out there as you're focusing on your songwriting this time around did did you feel like you needed a concept to keep your focus to give you uh, a direction to go in or is it just the way that the uh, the cards fell i was really happy that the concept kind of found me and i was able to build around that and i had been bringing in songs into the studio and the concept kind of found me that way because all the songs kind of tied into this grand scheme of Carolina Confessions and it it gave me a uh, a better idea or a better way to, to paint the picture I was trying to. I read that you wrote a lot of the, did you write a lot of the songs in France or was just some of the songwriting happened up there? Yeah, a good, a good few of the tunes I wrote just kind of in hotel rooms and backstage areas while we were over there doing our tour. Uh, this this past March, I think it was. When you hear a lot about um, how sometimes uh, location can can influence a song, but uh, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any of a uh, French or European sounds that you can hear creep into these songs at all? <laughs> not not much, not much. 
I'll, I'll tell you what was really, I think, kind of unbeknownst to me, uh, inspiring the way that I was approaching this music was give you an idea of what, what I was doing. I was really kind of stressed out. So that really encouraged me to, to write more because that's my main way to release tension on my on my heart and my soul and my spirit. So I was doing this tour and I was also learning a lot of Black Crows music because I was getting ready to do this tour with Chris Robinson that we did. And that's what I think really uh, was really inspiring to me was learning all their music, actually. You can hear some, definitely hear some of that in there. I mean, and, and, and I think that falls in line with, you know, Southern music too, which has a long tradition, although it's, you know, you could say that about any basic genre, but but something about Southern music, it's a it's a really special, specific tradition that it becomes more about the story. I mean, the the, the guitar solos and the riffs are there, but it, but it has to be about the story as well, right? Right. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's the truth, man. You got to have a story behind it. And there are some stories on here. Um, I'll bring up Goodbye Carolina because I, I think that's one of the most heartbreaking ones we hear about. That that touches on suicide. Yeah, it does. That's been something I've written about before. It's the first time I've ever spoken about it. I think it's a. I think it's something that we need to uh, be aware that's that's happening, and it doesn't. It doesn't really have a face. You know, you never really see it coming. And we had a good friend of ours that's not with us anymore. And I wrote the song from his perspective. And he kind of. I feel more like he wrote it. He kind of came to me in a dream of some sort in one of my hotel rooms in France. And uh, that's how the song came to be. Beautiful, beautiful song. It really is. Well, thanks a lot, man. Would you say that there are more goodbyes than hellos on this record? That's tough to say, because I guess collectively the entire record is is, is meant to be a, a bit more uplifting, but I guess it's uh, kind of how you like to interpret it. I guess for me, you know, any, anything that I write, I like, a hundred different people to listen and have a hundred different interpretations of what it could mean or, you know, just because I say exactly what the song's about, that's just what it was for me. Right. It, it should be something different for everybody. Must say something about the mood I've been in lately then. <laughs> and we should also mention Dave Cobb. You know, we're everybody's a fan of Dave Cobb these days. We, we surely are. Did he add anything that you hadn't been able to do before? Dave was uh, a really great asset on this record he came in and he's very uh calm and collected with the way that he works and he was very uh very aware of the fact that we're a we're a band you know and it's not just me and some session players so he was very collaborative and in the way of pushing everybody to really get the best parts that they could on the song that we were working on we would start every morning or afternoon because Dave likes to do the Brian Wilson approach or the John Prine, however, yeah. and start about 1 p.m., 2 p.m. So we would sit down on the couch and I would write or play a song. And if he had any notes just on the basic structure of the tune, we would go over it there. And we would we would change around the verse or we'd say, no, this could be better for the chorus if we added this there. You know, make some really minor adjustments. And then right there, the, the horns would come up with their lines. And everybody would kind of learn the song. There's the majority of the music, I, like I said, I wrote uh, by myself. So I hadn't presented it even to the band yet. So I, re- I really went in there cold with all these tunes. And he was a really big asset in letting us act as a band once we had all of our parts. He wouldn't really step in, in the middle of us 
in our, you know, arbitration process that we usually have of anything that could be going on in the studio. He kind of let us figure things out, and then he would, you know, jump in. Yeah. It, was, it was a great environment. And, I, and I'll bring up, you know, one of those songs, I, I guess, that maybe you didn't bring in at the beginning was, was How Long, because that ended up being a co-write with, with Dan Auerbach, as, as I read. H- how did that come about, and how was it writing in that style with him? That was great, man. That was that was really a good couple of days. It was just a writing session that came about. Dan does a lot of writing in Nashville, and uh, he he contacted or he reached out to me and asked if I would want to come and uh, do some writing with them. And I said, "Well, with him," and I said, "Absolutely." So I flew from Phoenix, Arizona, to Nashville, and we did two days of writing. And we were, we were writing with uh, Pat McLaughlin on this particular day. And we had like four or five different ideas that we left the studio with. And that one was the one that kept kind of ringing in my ear. And I flew from Nashville to, to Paris, and we did that whole tour of Paris. So I had all the other tunes I was working on, and I had that one still kind of ringing in my head. So we started playing it live and testing it out on that tour that we were doing. And we came back to the studio, and we we focused on all the songs that we wanted to get done. And uh, we noticed that we had a a day in the studio that we didn't have really anything to work on. So at that point, I kind of I kind of said, you know, I got this tune that me and Dan and and uh, Mackie wrote. Let's uh, let's give it a go. <laughs> and there it is for everybody to hear now. Yep. Yeah. Dude, I really do love this record, uh, Carolina Confessions. You've done an outstanding job. And uh, I'll also mention at the end here that uh, we're excited to have you in town, too, because you're going to be bringing it all to the Mercury Ballroom, which is right next door to us uh, on December 4th. Uh, really looking forward to that, man. Yeah, me too, brother. We can't wait. Yeah. All right, Marcus. Thank you so much for uh, for calling in today. Uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you all in Louisville. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Bye now. Marcus King of the Marcus King Band talking about the record Carolina Confessions. And my thanks again to River Wireless and Alejandro Escovedo and Don Antonio for those calls as well. And for you for subscribing to this little podcast right here. If you haven't done so already, please do hit that subscribe button in front of you, whether you're checking us out on Spotify or YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts from. After that, WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. Head over to consequenceofsound.net for all your music and film news needs. You can find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. 
If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.